As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. All right, Mike, we are back with part two of our building a killer product team. Yes, and two parts for something that is really, really important, in my opinion, if you want to have a killer product. Yeah, I mean, we probably could do a whole series on this, but we're trying to pack as much as we can into these two episodes. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, it's not quite a prerequisite. Today, we're going to talk about management and team building, but you can go back and listen to the first episode where we covered networking and, and how to build up that that pipeline of, of really quality candidates. Yes, and I can't wait to get in the management piece, so maybe we should get right in. Let's do it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. 
In season four of Rocket Ship, we are diving into everything product and growth. Rocket Ship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We're your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. So I also talked with Michael Carjanapicorn, the founder of Skillshare, about how they used a fixed price pay scale as an advantage in hiring. Ah, interesting. Like, you know, we hired someone for a role here. And I told him, I was like, dude, you're just getting severely underpaid right now. And this is market. And like, this is like a 30, 40% increase from what you're making. Like, like this is just what you're going to get paid here. And he was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> he's like, I didn't know, one, I didn't know that. And two, he's like, you're just giving me a huge increase. And like, that's what you just, that's what you, that's what you should be getting paid right now. So it also helps wow. out in those situations where people are getting underpaid regardless of gender maybe it's experience maybe it's location um but you know it, it, it you know for every person that's getting under overpaid there's probably someone that's getting underpaid as well yeah you got to imagine that's probably a huge um win for for skillshare and that hire right where i mean that that's got to create some loyalty and and some some goodwill moving forward i think for sure and it definitely sets the right tone like when you're really transparent and and, and, and another good leadership principle is like, if you just really care about the people that you work with and the people that work for you in the company, you know, they'll just return that um, tenfold as well. Um, so, you know, there, there have been people that have worked at Skillshare for five years um, that, you know, that I still stay in touch with, you know, as a mentor, as advisor for their companies that they're launching today. Um, just because of the relationship that we built, I think it starts with transparency and trust and, um, you know, any, any, any professional or personal relationship that has a solid foundation of trust, it's, it's really easy to build on top of that. I love this. When you're getting hired, it's already a stressful process to go through when you're negotiating. And I've never had this happen, but I can only imagine that candidates would delight to not have to negotiate to get a huge increase from what they're actually making. It's refreshing, right? When co- and, and more companies are moving in this direction. It all points to the culture that's built inside of the organization. And you can see that when you're interviewing. And so we actually talked a lot about this in our two-part diversity series on this new economy. For listeners that haven't checked that out, um, we talk with a couple companies who are using fixed pay sales to give themselves a hiring advantage. Yeah, it's definitely worth the listen or even a re-listen if you've listened to it before. (laughs) Yes. So let's talk a bit about management. Now that you have some fantastic people on your team. To lead or not lead, that is the question. Or maybe just to lead poorly, right? But which I hope none of our listeners actually do or want to do. But, you know, I I wanted to look at this from a couple different perspectives so listeners can find a perspective that they relate to. Yeah, or hopefully pick up some tips from. Yes, exactly. So first off, what components make up the right product team? At Facebook, it's typical to have, you know, a product manager, a product designer, any number of engineers, data scientists, um, a content strategist, a researcher. Um, in some areas, we also have uh, growth marketers who, um, you know, help reach people uh, out off Facebook, but also help us with um, messaging and promoting features and reaching reaching people on Facebook. So there's a lot of different uh, points of view on a Facebook product team. And uh, we really look to product managers to help organize uh, those points of view and make sure that everyone has a voice and that we're um, all working on the most important things. And we can't expect every team to have all of these disciplines on it, though. 
No, no, not specialists in each of these. But I mean, the various skills that you need in in some capacity are here, right? It's just for smaller companies, uh, people have to wear multiple hats, and and that's where hiring gets really tricky. Um, but you know, as you grow, you can get more specialized with each of these. Yeah, and I guess knowing your weaknesses that also helps you here when you're hiring the right people. Absolutely right. So J2 Patel of Box, um, he had a great perspective on this as well. Small teams, but don't try to have the size of teams grow to be too large because then most of the time it's meant in coordination rather than actually getting work done. So one of the, you know, like we really take to heart what Jeff Bezos at Amazon talks about, which is this two pizza team concept where you should have a team no more than can be fed with two pizzas. And we, uh, we do that over here where we tend to have this kind of notion of a pod um, where you know there's uh, the teams are no no larger than eight to ten people, and they've got a multitude of different roles from product management to you know we have this concept called P pod where you have um, each each letter in that word stands for a particular role so P for product management E for engineering A for analytics. Um, um, and then P for program management, which is different from product management. Because typically you find that people that are good at creative thinking aren't the ones that are good at keeping the trains running on time. And so we find, you know, there might be like four humans that know how to do that, but for the rest of humanity, you need to make sure you split those roles out. And then we have uh, O for online growth and then D for design. And we tend to have some kind of combination uh, with varying numbers, depending on the kind of project there is of this kind of peapod concept. But um, our teams tend to be small, and then what we do is we, we try to focus on having local missions for those teams. So you as a big company can have many priorities. Uh, in fact, it's impossible when you get to our size and scale to have like one or two priorities. But what, what's extremely important is that every team has a local mission with you know one key metric um, and one key priority, or maximum one or two. But the moment you go beyond that, it's very hard for teams to execute effectively. So. Um, you know, um, so one is have small teams. Two is make sure that the composition on the teams is the right kind of people. Three is you know we are massively obsessed on making sure that the team is focusing most of the time up front on picking the right problem to solve. Ah, oh, that's awesome. I love the idea of having small focused teams, even as a company grows. Yeah, it's great for smaller companies to keep in mind too, right? So like Box, they have a lot of small teams inside, but when you are only one small team, going too wide can, can really kill your productivity. Yeah, but it's so easy to do. I mean, I've lost a lot of time in the past by chasing shiny feature ideas, right? I think a lot of us have. I don't know one person who's ever built a product that hasn't, but you know, that it's, it's a skill to learn is that discipline that, you know, as, as the leader, you got to keep your team focused, right? And keep them moving towards that North Star. Okay. So let's talk about that role of the product leader. Um, I think there there are two parts of um, what people get wrong about product management. So the first thing is um, the folks who come in and they want to be the next Steve Jobs. Um, It's like, and they come in, they have this like bold, bold vision, and then everyone just does what they they tell them, they're being told to do. Um, That's just like not how that works in almost any company. Um, It only works if you're like actually Steve Jobs. Um, And there's a couple other folks who are founders of really visionary type companies. But if you are a PM, um, basically anywhere else, that's incredibly untrue. Um, I think the phrase that best sums up 
product management is this phrase like influence without authority. So no one reports to you, no one has to do anything you want them to do. Um, you have to con convince them to do it. Um, and sometimes it's a big bold like, you know, like you're like, this is what we're gonna do and like you're gonna follow me. Um, but a lot of other times it's like listening and having a lot of empathy and it's taking their inputs and incorporating it into the product because actually one, they're like valid inputs. Yeah. Um, but two, it, it gets everyone bought in to the thing you ultimately build. Um, so I think when people come in and they just like have a, an idea, but you ask them like, how do you work with, well with others? Yeah. Um, and they're just like, what are you talking about? You're like, mm, okay, that's not really what the job is, right? Austin Bales also had an interesting perspective on this, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I look for people who are going to be uh, great at building teams, who are going to um, be excellent partners to designers and data scientists and engineers and excite the people they're working with, um, as well as people who are you know, really great operators, meaning that they can uh, figure out how to manage a project, um, put together meetings and notes and decks and communicate, you know, the right way to the people on their team and their managers and stakeholders and um, I think operations is a uh, operations or project management is a tremendously important part of what a product manager uh, does in addition to like the product work and the vision and figuring out what we're going to do. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. Dot com. That's business.att.com. Now, back to the show. So I was talking with Allison Go of Facebook about how she communicates between these different disciplines. It's one of the hardest things as a product manager, having to speak multiple languages and really have empathy for different disciplines. All while trying to figure out how do I get them all to collaborate? So I think a lot of this, uh, the... The, the differences in opinion often come from differences in the baseline of knowledge, okay. right? So um, I, as a product manager, have a view of one set of things, maybe everything. That's maybe the core job of a product manager, um, whereas any, any other function may have a portion of it. Um, and so their opinion is very much informed by the portion that they have. Um, and so, I, you know, if you do the, the, the thought exercise of assume the best intentions, like often it's because there's like a, a gap in knowledge, not because that person doesn't know what they're doing, but because like they inherently don't have the visibility in this other side of the business or the other side yeah. of the workflow. So I think that's where I, that's my assumption usually. Right. Um, and then I try to dig into that and, and, and kind of figure out where that gap is. Like, where do you, why do you think this is important? Um, what's driving that, that, um, that opinion? Yeah. And then if you can find that, that, that gap, you can then talk about the gap and not about the solution that is being asked for or like proffered, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, once again, it's like coming back to the digging in. Um, and then once you get there and you say, well, now that you know this new piece of information that I had, um, do you still think the same thing? Now, Sometimes a person might. And so uh, I don't know if I have a solution for that. But usually like you come to a point where like 
we just have a different point of view of like what we're optimizing for okay. at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like such a key question. Um, what are you optimizing for? And if you can apply that to almost every situation where it seems like you're off with a person, it's yeah. usually because you have a different optimization or you have a different set of information. Yeah, and, and that was assuming the best intention. Always, right? yeah. And, yeah, I like it, that a lot. I think like that's a phrase that's used a lot and it sounds very kumbaya and like very like, oh, like let's all get along. But yeah. it, to me, it's actually like a completely mechanical thing that's like super useful okay. in which you, um, if you if you assume the best intentions, it means something else is why you're in conflict. And sometimes it's still it's sometimes it's a different goal, but it's sometimes it's bad communication skills, and that's like also painful. But it doesn't mean that this person is out to get you or like is sabotaging you or just is like a terrible person. It just means like you either have different goals or you have different communication styles. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's you who has the bad <laughs> communication style. It's like totally possible, right? So um, like you should and and, and so when you use um, the phrase assume the best intentions, it means it gives you a guidebook of like what do you, how do you work through what seems like a conflict. Yeah. Um, it's so rare, like it doesn't have to be, I think most conflicts can be either avoided or like approached in a non-personal way. But, yeah. And you still might not agree because like your goals are just in conflict and that's, that's okay. This sounds like a lot of trust building to do. I mean, these conflicts, they're often caused by either a lack of trust, a lack of respect, or lack of communication. Yes, none of this is easy to, to navigate, right? And there aren't any management hacks that give you an instant repeatable process that you can do over and over again. Right. I mean, every person and every team is different. And the trick is really being adaptable. And so I talked with Austin Bales a bit about this um, and how he approaches it. Well, I think like the general advice is to start with getting to know people um, and getting to understand um, their strengths and the, the work that they like to do, um, understanding the things that they, they like to avoid, um, understanding the way that things worked in the past and withholding your judgment or evaluation um, of those, of all of those things. Um and so that's kind of like how you can connect at a, at a personal level. But I actually think that to build like a trusting relationship, um, it maybe takes working through something complicated or um, encountering some sort of friction or adversity together, right? Like a shared experience. If everything's just going, going well all the time, what is the substance for, you know, what, what substance are you going to discuss? You can talk about how someone might want to grow um, and be proactive um, in working with them on that or finding new opportunities for someone. Um, one thing that I did was, one thing I do, what I do for the growth team is, um, is help with recruiting designers and design managers. So that's kind of value that I can add early on to that team. Um, I also have been at Facebook for a while and I've worked with a lot of different product teams like Newsfeed and Messenger. Um, so another thing I tried to provide was connections to some of those people I know. And I can use my time to talk talk with them um, and understand perspectives from other teams. So, so those are some of the things that I emphasized earlier on um, where I could just kind of provide additional value without thinking about um, changing or challenging or doing something different. It just takes time. Yeah. And that's okay. Right. We're always trying to get everything done instantly, but this is just one of those things that takes time to foster that trust. Yeah. And do you remember there was a quote from Ty Ahmad Taylor 
the one about pushing credit down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one. Um, one second, let me pull it up. And uh, there's a Christian saying, which is uh, to hide your light under a bushel. So that tends to be my own personal operating mode. Um, in terms of what I do for the folks that are on my team, I like to push it down to the lowest levels. What I found through my career is that um, you get more secure in the work that you're doing. And I, I appreciate should always protect the most vulnerable, and in my view, in any space in life. And the lowest working members typically get the hardest work because they have less mooring to be able to attach it, right? And they have less, uh, fewer frameworks and heuristics of their own to be able to, to get to, to the North Star. So they need help, but they also need support, but they also need to receive the credit when it's there. And so my goal is to push it to the lowest levels. And if, and if one is secure, and if it jumps the level and goes below you or you don't get credit for it, you're actually good with that because you understand that what you're doing uh, has value in and of itself and that the person who's pushing it to the lowest level understands and appreciates what you're doing. So it's the same thing with like when you're doing presentations. I try and have either the most junior member who's the most polished speaker or a more senior member who's the most polished speak, but it doesn't need to be me because I don't, I don't have the ownership of the idea. Yeah. And finally firing yeah I, I I hate firing and and I I didn't bring it up in any of our conversations uh, but I can say there's a lot to the old adage of hiring slow and firing fast and when you have to fire you got to just get right to it right and and say what you have to say and let the other person talk it, it's it's not easy no it's not easy and honestly it's something that I feel like I've never really been good at um, I mean because hey look unless the person was just blatantly stealing from the company or something like that you know oftentimes you're letting go somebody that you know, maybe you like personally, but it just wasn't the right person for the company. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we never want to burn bridges in that conversation. And we, we always want them to know that it was circumstantial, right? That it wasn't about them personally. It was just about their performance at this time. Maybe this wasn't the right position for them. And how do we get them into the right one? Do you have an example of a firing that maybe didn't go so horribly wrong? Yeah, yeah. So um, we had to let a guy go from my sales team um, a couple of years ago. And he really just, you know, he, he wasn't performing, right? He, he couldn't, he wasn't quite picking it up fast enough. And so we gave him three quarters to, to try to figure it out. And, you know, the one thing that we actually did right was we had set KPIs. So he knew the benchmarks that he had to hit. And when he wasn't hitting them, it wasn't me saying, you know, I just don't like you. Right. When, when it came time to let him go, it was, you know, we've got all of this data and you're just not reaching your mark. And we've really tried everything that we could do to get you there. Um, but maybe this just isn't the position for you. Now, wasn't the position for him. Was there another position for him? Was there an opportunity to maybe move him to a different part of the company or anything like that? Yeah. So, I mean, with a big organization, that, that would have been possible, right? Um, but when we're small, we were like 18 people. We really didn't have those tracks. And we had, we had already finagled this position as much as we can to try to find where we could get him to, to fit in. Um, so unfortunately, we, we had to let him go because we didn't have a place to move him. 
And and that's just the unfortunate reality of being a small team. You really need everyone to be working at 100%. So how do you take it? Well, in the moment, not great. Uh, but we, we talked about what he should focus on next and, and where he would be a good fit, right? What were his strengths that he brought in uh, that he could apply somewhere else? And once he kind of calmed down, uh, we focused on what his next move should be. And once we moved the conversation in, in that direction, it, it kind of set him off on a path where he didn't feel as defeated, uh, but he felt like, all right, well, now I, at least I have a direction and a mission. I've gotten some good feedback. And a couple months went by and we ended up getting a coffee and, and from time to time, I even mentor him a bit now. So no hard feelings. Well, you know, at least if there are, we can get past them. And that's probably the best situation um, when you're looking at kind of letting someone go. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's probably not going to end up like that every single time where, you know, you can end up in a mentoring type situation. But, hey, we can try, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, we're all just people at the end of the day. So we should try our best to, to get along even when we have to sever ties. If you want to find out more about Rocketship.fm, go to Rocketship.fm. It's pretty simple, right? Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you don't miss future episodes in this series. And if you like today's episode, tell a friend. Or two friends, or a lot of friends. We would love it if you would spread the word. We, You could sign up for our newsletter. We have partnered with Product Collective, Mike Belsito's company, to bring you even more content each week. So if you sign up for the newsletter, you're going to get content from Rocketship FM. You're also going to get detailed product content from Product Collective, which is incredibly valuable. And as entrepreneurs, it's one of the most important topics for us to stay up on. So go to rocketship.fm and sign up for our newsletter. If you enjoy this this content, leave us a quick review um, or tell a friend or share the link on Twitter. Anything helps to get the word out about the show. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back here in just a couple of days.